Well, good morning. It is uh, great to see you. I love what this weekend has offered, and it's an honor to get to spend some time with you. I wish I had to give the prophecy and could answer this question definitively uh, for every one of you, but I love this topic. I pay attention to the forecast, fortunately. Uh, for me, we've got a really good weatherman uh, in West Tennessee, and with all the storms we've had lately, uh, he's pretty good at anticipating what's coming because he has a radar and training that kind of helps him to see, hey, here's what's on the horizon. I lived in Louisiana for six years and preached in Baton Rouge, and I remember uh, when Katrina was coming in the fall of 05, how we had three or four days to sort of prepare for that, and because of that forecast, uh, we were far more ready uh, for that, although obviously... A lot of people lost their lives and a lot of good came out of uh, the relief efforts, but it was still a very difficult time for us and many other people in that area. So I don't have a radar, but I do have some things that I think will be helpful for us today uh, because sometimes the best way I think to anticipate what's coming is to look back and to consider where we've been. And uh, five years ago, you'd have told me that some of the things that have happened in my life have happened, both blessings and challenges. If you had told me that some of the people that uh, I didn't know if they would ever obey the gospel and be a part of God's kingdom would obey the gospel, if you had told me that some people I was sitting with who uh, would fall away from the faith, uh, maybe if you told me about some people that I thought were gonna live long and healthy lives who uh, are with the Lord now and rest in his arms or, or people that I thought were on their deathbeds who continue now to thrive in local ministries. It's just really difficult, I think, to nail everything down, but uh, I'm excited about this topic and the opportunity to spend a little bit of time reflecting on this. I, I, I teach at Freed Hardeman, and I get to hang out with some of the coolest people in the world, and uh, they challenge me generationally to think about things a little bit of a different way. Uh, I've got four kids at home that uh, range and age quite significantly and so I benefit from the perspectives of others and I hope that even though we're doing a lot of lecturing uh, this weekend that if we say something that prompts a thought or a question or an observation you'll feel free to jump in on that I think that's one of the great things about Bible classes <laughs> is we have the opportunity to discuss this together so I just want to start with the acknowledgement that you know we can't predict the future but scripture does give us a pretty clear picture of the way the Lord anticipated things going. Uh, I know a lot of people go to 2 Peter 3 and perhaps they think about the nature of Christ's return because of what the Apostle Peter uh, says there. But if you look at that text, it's not just about what we can anticipate with regard to Jesus coming back. It's also the fact that as Christians, we ought not be surprised when things don't go the way we think they ought to in our world. This is a passage that describes how the Lord will turn like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And so in some ways, what we know about the future in terms of this physical existence that we participate in, and tragically, when you think about what Jesus says in Matthew 7, I suppose we ought not be surprised that uh, we might not be able to look down the road five years and say, you know, politically, geopolitics, things are going to be a lot better then than they are now. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. I, uh, I'm a little bothered when people say things like things are worse now than they've ever been. 
because it seems to me that things have been pretty bad since Genesis 3, and yet God is still sovereign. He's still the one we praise. And so I don't uh, want to propose this morning that we're going to have some kind of great revolution and that everything will be as it should be in five years. This is not the kind of lesson that, uh, you know, if you go back in Christian history and think about what a lot of those restorationists like Martin Stone or Alexander Campbell were doing, a lot of those guys were post-millennial. It's hard to find a post-millennialist now uh, because around 1866, which is the same year Alexander Campbell died, that war between the states ended and all the people who thought that they were going to usher in a thousand years of God's peace and that through the settlement of America, everything was going to get better, they quickly realized, you know what, things are not getting better. And so I don't want to be negative, but I think any kind of forecast that depends on uh, everything working out in the world and there being peace and harmony perhaps doesn't take into consideration the full picture of what scripture says about the reality in which we live. I love this nation. I love this part of the world. I love a lot of things about life that I think are blessings from speaking of James, James 1.17, God being the giver of every good and perfect gift. But any spiritual forecast looking five years down the road has to acknowledge that we're still going to be living in a world if the Lord doesn't return between now and then where sin is a problem and a lot of people choose things that are not God-honoring. But that doesn't determine how I'm going to respond. And notice that the title of this lesson is where will I be? Not where the world will be. Not where most people will be. And so the good thing is because God's given us the capacity to make choices that we pray will honor him and they'll impact others for his glory. We have a say in where we're going to be in five years. I mean, let's thank God for that, that we have the capacity to reason. We have his perfect word that's been revealed and the vast majority of us have the freedom to explore that word. Now, I don't know how the world's gonna look in five years, but we have a say in how we might look uh, spiritually in five years. So God holds the future in his hand and uh, as we look five years down the road and ask, what will the world be like then? Again, I can't, I hope that there aren't robots uh, sitting at computers. That's uh, kind of a scary picture. But uh, I'll tell you this, there were some members of my family that weren't Christians five years ago that are in Christ now, including my oldest child. Uh, she made the decision to put on Christ uh, at Bible camp a couple of years ago. And uh, those of us with kids, we might can relate to this. I prayed about that and thought about what, what's that moment going to be like. And I'd even sort of thought through, here's what I'm going to say. And we got there and all that left my mind. And I was just thinking about how good God is and how he acted in that moment. Now, I wish I could tell you that everything that's happened in my life over the last five years has been great. But uh, there's some members of my family that were faithful to the Lord five years ago that aren't right now. And so I don't know how this might fit your situation, but I do know that God's given us some principles and you already have the notes to this lesson, hopefully in your hand this morning. But as I look back and think about my life and how God's blessed me, and as I think about a number of students that I'm blessed to serve and, and how uh, a lot of them have had to live out experiences that I never thought about when I was their age because of COVID, uh, how many university students and teenagers and young adults have had to walk through stuff that I've never had to experience at that phase in my life. 
uh, how smartphones have changed things and communication. And so there are a lot of challenges that if I were to have presented this lesson five years ago, because of where I am and where the world is, I might would have said some things that are a little different than what I'm gonna say this morning. But I just wanna make six quick observations about how we can impact where we are five years from now. Let's also make note of this. Five years from now, some of us might be at rest with the Lord. We, we're not promised tomorrow. Uh, five years from now, the Lord might have already returned. And we could have stood before that scene in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, where he separates the sheep from the goats. So I, I don't make any attempt here to say, here's exactly the way things are going to be in five years. But if the Lord tarries, and if we're blessed to still have life, and we still have an opportunity to honor God uh, with our hearts and minds and souls, well then, where can we be in five years? Hopefully, this will be helpful. I, I wanna start with just this simple reality that we need to make sure we're communicating with God. This is easy to say, and you've heard this sermon, uh, this Bible class, several times. Let me illustrate this. <clears throat> I live in Chester County, Tennessee, which is a pretty rural place. And I was driving through the country, and one of the things, which is like Chester County, one of the things that I've observed is that a lot of congregations have these marquees out front with messages that you can change from week to week. And sometimes you see something that's quoting scripture and it's encouraging. Now, I don't know how it is around here, but sometimes you see a message on a church marquee and you're just thinking, what does that even mean, right? Well, I was driving along the other day. This I won't name the place where I saw this but on a, uh, a church marquee, one of those signs out front, it said, if everything else fails, pray. Now listen, uh, <clears throat> I like prayer. And there have been some points in my life where everything else did fail. I tried to work hard and I tried to be smart. I tried to be strong. I tried to do it my way. Uh, Sinatra, that doesn't always work out, right? And that Burger King theology, you know, have it your way. I tried all that, and I, and I finally got to a place where I realized, hey, I just need to turn this over to the Lord and try to be faithful to Him. And as good and great as that is, I think that sign's a bit misleading. Uh, when you think about Paul's ministry <clears throat> and how everything he did was God-centered, one of the things that challenges me about Paul, especially in a letter like 1 Corinthians, is we often focus on all the trials and problems that congregation was having. But notice how even in that letter, Paul frequently asked that they pray for him. He still valued their prayers. He still valued their perspective. So I was trying to think, okay, I want to give you a passage for each of these. I don't want to proof text this, but I chose a verse from Philippians because it's easy to sometimes assume that all Philippians does is offering us this perspective of joy. But in Philippians chapter 4, as Paul's talking here about his gratitude for the church in Philippi, remember that connection that was made back in Acts 16 and how generous they had been and supportive they had been financially and emotionally and spiritually. I think as he's reminding them of their generosity and gracious perspective with regard to his ministry, this, uh, this command has been really hard for me to keep in my life because as a father, as a husband, as uh, someone who wants to honor God and proclaim his word, there are a lot of things that make me want to be anxious. 
and, and one of the big things I think as we look five years down the road is just all the unanswered questions. If there's ever a season in life when you might feel like there are unanswered questions, I think that range from about 18 to 25 is one of the scariest places it can be. I'm, I'm trying to help uh, probably three or four couples right now with premarital counseling. And we've got some big questions. We've got folks that are graduating here in about three weeks, and they've got some big questions like, uh, how am I going to afford a place to live? How am I going to pay off this student debt? How am I, where am I going to work? How's this going to look? How am I going to own my faith? How am I going to uh, face some of the challenges that we're feeling socially? And so those four words that begin Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, are sort of easy to let those words roll off our tongue. But I think if we keep reading, you, you've got Paul actually using four words in this verse for prayer. I mean, he talks about prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and request. All four of those words in the context of the New Testament are used to describe prayer. And I think it's sort of like psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in that we can't always put these into watertight compartments and say, well, there's this kind of prayer and that kind of prayer. The idea is that one of the ways we can avoid anxiety, I've got a friend right now who's going through a really difficult divorce and a really hard family situation, and he's not been sleeping, and I understand that. The other day we were at breakfast, and he said, you know, I was up almost all night praying about this and thinking about this. But then I realized, even if I go to sleep, God's still on the job. And so perhaps part of the picture here is we can avoid worry and anxiety in terms of something that cripples us and makes us feel like we just don't have any say in what's around the corner by giving that over to God. And sometimes we hear that language and we think, well, that means I'm just going to be passive and sort of defeatist. There's nothing I can do about this. But communication is imperative. Uh, Christy uh, and I, when we were dating and I graduated a little bit earlier than she did, and this was before social media. I know it's shocking, like there was a world before that. And, but we, uh, every night about 8.15, we had a great time to just reconnect and talk. And I lived every day looking forward to 8.15. Because you know, when you love someone and you want to spend the rest of your life with that person, you find that communication is really important. And I think about our Lord, and, how frequently he withdrew to pray. And if the Son of God spent that much time communicating with the Father and learning to use that as an opportunity to not lean on his own understanding, and he's the Son of God, uh, replacing that anxiety with the ability to just lay that down. It's sort of a votive offering, right? Something I'm going to leave at the feet of the Lord and say, I, I know that you can handle this. Now, here's a warning. doesn't mean I'm always going to understand it doesn't mean I'm always going to like it. Just think about, and I, I've got to, I can't just spend all of our time on one point. This is such a great point. Um, think about the people in the Bible whose prayers went unanswered. Or they got to know. I think about Moses, who desired to enter into Canaan, who tried to intercede for the people, and God still punished them and punished him. I think about a number of other people, including uh, Paul, how he talks about 2 Corinthians 11, that thorn in the flesh, and how he implored the Lord. And even though I don't always have the perspective to know why God says no, 
I know that uh, yesterday was the birthday of one of uh, the best men I've ever known, one of our shepherds at Estes, who about two and a half years ago passed away because of COVID. And uh, Mark Scott was one of my best friends. And we prayed fervently. We prayed fervently for Stan Mitchell, one of my colleagues at Freed Hardin, who had a heart attack walking across campus and laid in ICU for over two weeks. And the whole campus prayed fervently. And, and I don't have the ability, right, like Job, to necessarily know why God answered that in the way he did. But if I trust him, you know, even the Lord, our Savior, petitioned the Father let this cup pass for me, yet not my will, but your will be done. I don't mean to give the impression that communication with God makes the spiritual forecast easy. But it's a great way to begin because it reminds us that we don't have to wait for everything else to fail. We hand this over to God right now. And as we communicate with him, what else do we do? We knew this was coming, right? But I think listening to God, we're not only pouring our hearts out to God, we're listening to God. Now, I'm a nerd, and I love Bible study, and I love, I'll tell you, I hate to bring this up because I don't want you to, to dislike me, but uh, I love teaching Greek, which makes me extra weird. In my office, I've got a, <laughs> I went to speak one time at a congregation, and uh, they the guy there made kindergarten rugs, and for some reason, the kindergarten rug he had with the Greek alphabet on it hadn't sold. I was shocked by that. I thought every kindergarten teacher would want a rug with the Greek alphabet on it. So in my office, this just shows you the big nerd card I'm carrying. I've got a rug with the with the Greek alphabet on it in my office. I sometimes just sit and lay in the middle of that. Just I can teach the Greek alphabet song. It is a lovely all the way in the gamma. Okay. Anyway. That I love that like nerdy stuff. Archaeology and backgrounds and Maybe some of us were sort of reared on the Bible Bowl. You gotta buzz in quick. If you memorize those answers, you're gonna win, right? And so I think sometimes we're like, ah, yeah, I'm gonna nail this. I've got this Bible study thing down. I think it's possible to memorize scripture and not know God. To know a lot of answers, but not walk with him. I, I love the word of God, right? This is inspired and profitable, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, but the word of God is a means to an end. And that end is having a healthy relationship with God. So I think that's why in Paul's last letter, as he's challenging Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, as he's reminding him to guard the faith that he's been entrusted with, you knew this verse was coming, 2 Timothy 2.15. Why does Paul say to Timothy, his son of the faith, be diligent? What does that mean? Intentional? Some of you are athletes. I had a dream about being an athlete one time, right? <laughs> Be intentional about that. I walked by the weight room. I was like, oh, is that where that is? Be intentional, what? To present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. I think that here's the way that happens. Accurately handling the word of truth. I don't necessarily have to be the best Bible student. One of the things we want to remind our men and women who are majoring in Bible and free Hartman of frequently is that uh, you know, learning what the scriptures say and being able to communicate that is obviously important. But you know, ministries can be destroyed really quickly if we don't live that out and allow that to be at work in us. And so um, some of you have been blessed 
be raised in Christian homes and you spend a lot of time in Bible study. And you could probably fill out the rest of this outline before we even get to it. And what a blessing that is. But avoid the danger of compartmentalization where your relationship with God is like another course on your schedule this semester. And it's easy to check that box. And it's easy to sort of glance at the word rather than gazing into the word of truth that we read about in James chapter one. So I really believe that five years from now, that picture of where we're going to be, God's providential care notwithstanding, will greatly be shaped by how much time we spend in prayer. I've got a little a little book, it's in the car, I didn't bring it in with me, because uh, I have a bad habit of telling somebody I'm gonna pray about something, and maybe if I don't write it down, I'm not gonna remember. And I need a list, that's just the way I'm wired. And so a little list helps me to not only be prayerful, but to talk with Christy about that, because when people tell us, hey, will you pray for us? I think the worst thing I could do would just be, sure, and ignore that, forget that. So maybe a, a plan like that for the prayer and maybe some kind of reading plan, but, but beware of reading plans because that can become another task. And uh, you know, I think the best Bible is the Red Bible, R-E-A-D. Spending time in the Word and uh, allowing ourselves to be shaped by that. How much time are we spending with God's people? I'm a, I'm a big believer in the fact that a good company can build us up in the faith. Uh, fellowship, Wendonia, shaped by our participation in Jesus together. And so um, I think, especially in the last five, six years, it's become easier to be isolated. Some of us naturally like that. We're introverts and I didn't like being away from my brothers and sisters, but I could have gotten used to couch church, but I'll just be honest about that. I could have gotten used to turning on YouTube or Facebook, rest of streams. And and uh, I, I tried right to leave my family. We, we, we would get clothes on like we were gonna leave and I got into that habit and it was kind of easy because uh, when you're, when you're through, you turn off the TV and lunch is right there. And you just kind of move to the next activity and it became convenient. And I'm not criticizing whatever efforts. I think a lot of church leaders were just doing their very best in an uncharted, you know, Leviticus doesn't address how to handle COVID uh, directly. So maybe this is something right now, especially when, um, isn't it amazing how you can be on a campus with 15 to 20,000 other people and feel like you're all by yourself. You can be in a congregation of two to 300, 400 people and not have any real connection. And recall sometimes you're just one face among thousands. You can kind of slip in and slip out and still feel like you're connected because you were there, but not really have people you can call on in a moment of crisis. You can have 4,000 Facebook friends and not really have five friends. I think that there's some challenges when we think about this now that five years ago, you know, there was a blessing in being in college at a time where we wouldn't even use email. Like, I don't know how my students would survive without some kind of ability to communicate 24 seven, but even with all that connection, what do we really have? And so, you know, this is the Bible verse, like the church attendance verse, but I, I think when you back up to verse 24, it's not just about the assembling, it's about the benefit of assembling as people who do this habitually 
so we can encourage, so we can uh, build up the body so that we can stir one another up. That's the language of verse 24, to love and good works. I need you. Uh, I'm not enough. And as much as I want to try to act like I am, that I've got it all figured out and that I'm self-sufficient, we've got this. I think God, as a relational God, designed us to be relational as well. That doesn't mean, you know, some of us naturally are just not going to have hundreds and thousands of friends, but they need to be people that we're, we're connected to in Christ. That's a different relationship. I, uh, I'm reminded of what Jesus says. It sounds so harsh, right? In Matthew 10, starting in verse 34, don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And he talks about family being separated. If God can use our physical families, then, then that's awesome. I think that's a wonderful blessing. But I know a lot of people. I had a friend when I was at school at Freed that uh, went home one week, one spring break actually, back to Florida. And uh, all of her stuff was in the front yard and the locks had been changed. And when she got there, she found out she was no longer welcome in that house because she had become a Christian. She was a student at a university that was trying to help Christians. I mean, that still happens. And so if you are surrounded by a lot of people who love you and encourage you, awesome. But uh, even if you're surrounded by a lot of folks, that doesn't mean that you necessarily feel well-connected. I just think five years from now, the more time we can spend building relationships with each other, the stronger we're going to be. And uh, There are people, uh, I don't want to preach a separate sermon here, but... Uh, I'll never be too old to listen to people who can give me wise counsel and mentor me. I think if there are people that you can look to that can give you good spiritual guidance, if there are people that you can look to to help mentor them, a great way to grow stronger in the faith is to find somebody you can be an example to in a very intentional way. And then make sure you've got some uh, a Barnabas in your life, somebody that you can just look to when you need to be encouraged. Because even if you're the most optimistic most self-sufficient person in all the world. You know, God's designed fellowship to benefit us. And I hope that we'll pay attention to this. And I'm going to pay attention to the clock. Make sure I know <laughs> what time it is. Ooh, I got to move. Okay. So, communicate with God. Spend time in this word. Fellowship with his people. We're like, we already knew all of that. We already got all this down. Okay. That's great. Let's do a few more. How about this? This is not a guilt trip thing. I mean, we just had a great lesson at 8.30 by Hiram on uh, evangelism and how we all participate in this. I, I didn't come over here today to, you know, twist your arm and make you feel like a failure. But I do think that uh, Christianity ought to be contagious and that we've got to be intentional about this. And, and maybe it's at this point in our lives that we can begin to develop some healthy habits that... Help us to see that our faith isn't just something that's intended for me to share in and benefit from, but it's worth sharing. I think about this verse, which when you see this, you're, you may think, man, this is the most random verse on evangelism in all the New Testament, but I don't think it's random at all. And I, I'm not suggesting that you can go out to a cemetery and find a guy like Legion now, praise the Lord, but I do think there are people who are just as troubled as Legion was. He was cut off from everybody he knew. He was mentally and physically disturbed. He had, had become violent. He had become infamous because of what all those demons were doing in him. And there's this moment when Jesus confronts him and those demons go into the pigs. You remember that? I used to make a drive from Baton Rouge to New Orleans every day 
to go to school and uh, I was trying not to waste time. And so some days I would listen to Greek vocabulary that just tells you how special I am. <laughs> and other days I would listen to the Bible that one of my elders got me. I was, I was using the American Standard as what was in the pews. He got me a Bible, but it was uh, dramatized. Have you ever heard one of those audio Bibles that's got like sound effects? I'm not a big sound effects guy, but it was what I had. And so if Jesus is teaching in the marketplace, you hear like pots clinging. If he's, if he's like, you hear sheep in the background. It's like, it's just a really interesting. Well, I'm just going to tell you, uh, this is uh, confession time. Uh, I had a pretty good sound system in my car back then. That's 20 before I had a family and had to spend money on a minivan. But uh, have you ever thought about, I had never thought about this, and so I heard a dramatized reading of 2,000 kamikaze pigs rushing down a steep bank and drowning in the sea. And it was the most horrifying, I've not been able to eat deviled ham in a sense that it was just a really bad experience. But right after that, the guy who was formerly naked and bleeding and scary and they couldn't even chain him up. I just wondered, they have a family? I've got lots of questions about that. He, he's there, clothed, there's a sermon in there, and he's in his right mind and uh, he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, go home to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy or compassion on you. And he goes to the capitalists, 10 cities in verse 20, and I just wonder how people who knew where he had been responded when they saw the difference Jesus had made in his life. Legion became a walking billboard for Jesus. And it may be that there are people who don't know what a difference he's made in my life. And I don't know that we're going to, I'll just, I don't think putting a billboard on the side of I-65 is going to do a lot of good. I don't mean discourage. I don't know that people are going to slow down long enough to be able to read it anyway. Uh, but maybe in our relationships five years from now we'll be stronger in the faith because this has become something we're actually passionate about and that we're talking about and that we're invested in and I'm sorry for talking about human possessed pigs but I thought it spoke to this point so communicate with God spend time in this word fellowship with his people tell others about the great things God's done two more uh, how am I serving others um one of the things I've come to appreciate about the students I'm blessed to serve is that in general, they have a heart and a perspective for serving other people. And I don't want to overplay the generational thing, but they think about that more than I did when I was their age. And they love service. And now I'm thinking about that in a way that I likely should have before. If there's, a, if there's a verse that challenges me on this, I hope it'll challenge you in the same way. It's Galatians 6.10. And what I love about this is this is a hard letter to read because Paul said some really direct things about how these Christians, uh, I think in cities like Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and the city of Antioch, were focusing on themselves and were distracted and were not reaching out like they ought to be. And one of the things that I love about this in terms of a spiritual forecast Maybe two words here, universal in particular. Who am I not supposed to do good towards? Now, I think it's like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who's not my neighbor? Now, I, I don't have the resources to help everybody like I want to. 
I know in Baton Rouge, we, uh, after Katrina, struggled with this. How do you help everybody? And there were some groups that didn't help anybody. There were some groups that helped by zip code. You know, I know we've got to be good stewards, but I think the call here is to show Christ and to strive to be generous towards all people. But especially, here's the particular, to those who are of the household of faith. So I, I'm, I'm called to show the love of Christ, right? Acts 10, 38, Peter says, he summarizes Jesus' ministry by saying he went about doing good. I'm, I'm participating in that. Um, if I help somebody and they don't need it, have we ever, have we ever been burned, you know, trying to be benevolent towards somebody? If I help somebody and they don't need it, if they're taking advantage of me, that's really between them and God. They're going to have to deal with that. But if I don't help somebody and they do need it, have I, have I done that for the right reasons? Have I honored God with that? And so uh, here we have a men's ministry at Estes called Insight. We meet every other week at 630 and challenge each other. And so this year... We are, I don't know if this will be helpful to you or not, we're doing the 2, 2, 2, and 2 challenge. That's so easy to remember. If only that were my anniversary, I could, uh, no. <laughs> 2, 2, 2, and 2. I did get married in the year 2000, and the math is really easy on how long we've been married. I told Christy, until the year 3000, I wanted to really think about that the whole lot. But 2, 2, 2, and 2. What's that about? Think about how much it's going to sound like this. Two hours a week in personal Bible study, at least. I hope it's more than that, but it might get us started. Two hours a week associating, worshiping with, fellowshipping with the people of God. Two hours a week serving others. Can I do that? And what you found, what I found so far this year is that's nothing. But it's it's causing us to be accountable. We talk about this every time. Hey, how's this going? And it's not a works meritorious that kind of thing, but it's a way that we're trying to be intentional. And then what's the other two? 2023 we're all trying to have the courage to talk to at least two people with intentionality about the Lord and the reason we're doing these things is because not that we're necessarily thinking about five years down the road we just want okay one year from now am I going to be stronger in the faith or am I going to have atrophy because I've been inactive Ten years from now, is it going to be any different? And it's, again, it's not just about my ability to make a list and check it twice. But if you're a list-oriented person like I am, this is a great passage to quote. I, I think we have the opportunity right now. But unless we're intentional about it, who have I really served? I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. But are there people in the last month that you've done good towards in a very intentional way that's helped them to see the love of God in Christ? If so, praise God. If not, well, what if we, right now, jot down some names and be more open to opportunities so that when God opens these doors, we walk through them. We communicate with him persistently in prayer. We read his word. We fellowship. We share the gospel. We serve. How about something that's just maybe simpler and I thought, well, if there's a verse that we might get underlined or highlight, and I thought it was a verse that we probably all knew pretty well because uh, somebody put this to music. Maybe uh, the last thing we would say about helping our spiritual forecast look a little better is to live the Galatians 2.20 life. 
The Galatians 2.20 life. So what does the Galatians 2.20 life look like? I have been crucified with Christ. In the context here, we're talking about the reality that I've participated in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and because of that, I've been changed. And so what's being assumed is, I'm in Christ. And because of that, everything's different. I want to tell you that our family, we've tried to be more intentional about this this year with uh, the way we're talking to our kids, the way that we're spending our money, the way that we're trying to spend our time. I could be the laziest person on planet Earth. I know that that's probably more information than you need, but I could go home and just be a couch potato and be really good at that. That could be, a, I don't want to say a spiritual gift, but I could be really good at being a couch potato. But I've got to, while I'm wanting to be a good steward of my health, I've got to not. Here's what I think happens. Some of you may not be here yet. You work so hard all day that when you come home, you're exhausted and you decide, you know what, for the rest of the day, I'm going to just kind of take it easy. And while it's okay to rest, what that has done, or at least runs the risk of doing in our household, is uh, who suffers because of that? The kids, and maybe my spouse, and, and maybe my own spiritual health, because, uh, man, I teach the Bible all day. There's no better way to make a living. But that compartmentalization leads to a place where it's not really about his will, that's a nine to five reality. This verse says, it's not about me, it's Christ living in me, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And so, because he gave himself for me, what am I doing? I'm giving myself for him. And uh, theologically, this gets difficult because uh, we want to say, I'm going to just wear myself out for Jesus. Well, yes, but I'm also going to be thoughtful and careful about my family and my relationships. It would be a real shame to travel the whole world telling people about Jesus, but at home, we don't really talk about it. And so I think five years from now, right, can we can we know all the answers? There's a lot of things I don't know. Maybe that's the 2 Corinthians 5, 7 reality. We walk by faith and not by sight. But perhaps as we look at this list, we can put together, every year I've got to put together a, a faculty growth plan. And what it does is it forces me to think about what I need to do better with and maybe some things I'm doing okay with. What if we were intentional about that? And rather than me coming in and telling you, hey, here's what I've noticed in your life. I want to increase my communication with God. If you feel great about your prayer life, well then just keep thriving in that. But I've always found room for improvement. I've always found I can give God more time when I read his word fellowshipping with his people, leading others to Christ, serving others in the name of Christ, living in Galatians 2.20 life. And I just think that if you are in that young adult range, 18 to 25, this is where you get to develop habits that can bless you for the rest of your life. And Satan wants you to hear, you know what? You have a lot of time and you are busy and you're making decisions now that are far more important than anything on this list, that's one of Satan's greatest tricks, is to make us think that it's not until later in life that these things matter. And I've seen it, I'm here to share it, that the trajectory that you're setting right now can cause you five years from now to be a 
to be alive in Christ and strong in the faith and thriving as a disciple. Uh, or it can lead to a life that is very distant from anything that God desires that we live for because it's really been about me. Selfishness, I think, is at the heart of all sin. Because what it tells me is that what I need and what I want and my perspectives and my priorities are far more important than anything God wants. And may we think about this question. When I was a student at Lipscomb in a class, I'll close with this, I was asked to write a paper. Uh, that's probably the hardest assignment I've ever been given. And I was really unhappy with the result. The question was, where will the church be in 50 years? Well, I know it's going to be victorious because God's made promises. And I know that there are going to be some congregations that thrive. But I like this question a lot more. Because you know who gets to answer this? You do. You get to, by God's grace, make decisions now. But I pray five years from now, we'll be yielding fruit. It's all rooted in what he's doing, what he's promised unless we are to participate in his will. I hope five years from now that uh, those of us who still have breath in our lungs will be living lives uh, that honor God. I hope that those of us who may have already gone on five years from now, that we'll just be awaiting a sweet reunion of all of those who long for more than this world has to offer. You are uh, an encouragement to me and I appreciate your patience with me. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time that you've given us. May every breath, may every day, may every opportunity bring you honor. May we pray to you more. May we spend more time in your word. May we be more intentional about fellowshipping with your people. May we desire to share your word with others. May we serve others in a way that blesses especially our brothers and sisters. May we live Galatians 2.20 lives and be all about your will so that Five years from now, we'll be stronger, closer to you, desiring to spend eternity in heaven. Thank you for the time you blessed us with this morning. We love you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you all.